Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to just turn with me over to um, chapter 16 in, in the message, I mean, I'm sorry, in the message, in the story Bible. Um, if you don't have a story Bible. It's not too late to get a story Bible. We've got plenty of story Bibles. Um, This is just really a a series we're going through. It's a 31-week series that goes from beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And so we're going to be in this. We've been in this for four months. We've about halfway through. And so uh, we're going to continue to to plug along. And this morning we're looking at the name of the, the chapter is the beginning of the end of the kingdom of Israel. And so I just want to uh, read a quote by a gentleman named uh, G.W. Knight, and he writes this, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that is a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that is an award. Award, But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyways, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. This is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. The grace of God is his unmerited favor and his blessing and his care upon us that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, that we, we didn't work for, we didn't We didn't somehow achieve on our own, but simply because God in his goodness and his love and his mercy decided to lavish lavish upon us his grace in spite of all those things. So as we look through this story, three things emerge that we talk about every single week, right? The first thing is this, that God is an all-powerful creator and sovereign of the universe. He is the one who's calling the shots. He is the main character, the main actor, the one who is, who is in charge and in control of all things at all times. That's the first thing we see. God in his love and his mercy creates everything, mankind included. And mankind is created in God's image, valuable to God, precious to the Lord, loved by him, yet rebellious. And as we've seen week after week after week unfold, There is a rebellion, something in mankind rebels against God's loving care for their over them. We see this in our own lives. There's there's nothing in us that likes to be told what to do or how to do it. We rebel against it, even if it's for our own good. We don't like being told to eat vegetables, right? It's for our own good, but we don't like it anyways, and we don't do it. Mankind is sinful and rebellious, yet, yet loved by God. Loved by God. The third thing we see every single week is this, and we'll see this for the rest of the story, is that God is on mission to redeem his creation. God is on a purposeful mission to redeem those people who have, have turned their noses at God, who've completely walked away from him. God is on mission to redeem and pursue and love a people who have walked away from him. God is on mission And we've seen this week after week, haven't we? This is the story of God's people. Them walking away, God pursuing. 
them walking away, God pursuing. It's the same story over and over again. We see that, we're going to see that again today. Now, before we get into this, I just want to take a moment and pray. And let's just take this time and just commit ourselves to God. So, Lord Jesus, thank you today for the privilege that it is to dig into your, into your scriptures. Lord, I ask today that you would help us to see the glory and the majesty that is written across every page of your scripture. God, help us to behold and understand what your word is for us today. God, that we would take hold of that which you have taken hold of us for, that we would pursue your purposes in our lives, and Lord, that we would submit and surrender ourselves to you, the gracious, loving King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to just backtrack briefly of the history of Israel. And really, the history of Israel is a story of God's grace. So we see right from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 12, after God created everything, after mankind had been placed in the garden and rebelled against God, and Adam and Eve went their own way. And from there, the, we had the, the Tower of Babel and the, and the Ark and Noah and everything. And then we see this, that of all, the, of all the, the families on the face of the earth, God chooses one specific family, the family of Abraham, and God says, look, here's the deal. I am going to bless your family. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. And your family is going to be, be great in all the earth. But here's the, here's the point of all of it. It's not just greatness for the sake of greatness or blessing for the sake of blessing. It's blessing in order that you would be a blessing to the rest of the earth. That I'm going to funnel through you the blessing of knowing and having relationship with Almighty God in order that you would then go forth and proclaim the name of the Lord and be a blessing to everyone else on earth. And so that was the purpose of the blessing, of God revealing himself and coming into relationship with Abraham. He said, look, I've got a purpose for this, for all of this. I want you to be a blessing to the rest of the earth. Now, in order for this to take place, there's going to be a few things that are going to have to happen. First thing is this is that you're going to have to come into a relationship with me and follow me. Secondly, in order for me to create a, a, a great nation to bless all the nations, it's quite, a, quite a, a task for one person to bless the whole world. He said, look, I'm going to, make your, your, I'm going to multiply your descendants. Now, how I'm going to do that is I'm going to send your family into slavery in Egypt. So he's like, okay, that happens, right? So Israel spends 400 years... Abraham's family spends 400 years enslaved in Egypt. Now, while they're in Egypt, the family multiplies. They go in as 70 people. 400 years later, they leave as almost 2 to 3 million people. This, the family explodes. There's tons of them. And it's like Scott and Amanda Black's family all over the place. It's a tremendous blessing. And so Israel is going to have to leave their place of slavery, right? So what does God do? God shows up in a mighty, powerful way. He says, look, I'm going to deliver you and bring you out of the nation, out of enslavement, out of the nation of, of Egypt in a way that will be talked about for all eternity. So he, he, he brings plagues upon Egypt. He causes Egypt to, to recognize that God is the almighty God, that there is no other God. And through a series of plagues and deliverance, God brings the people of Israel out of slavery and into the wilderness. Now, 
he's done this in such a way that completely decimates all the, the deities of Egypt and does so in a way that basically spurns all of them and shows that God is the true God. Now, in this, they, the Israelites then come to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through the sea on dry land, and God continues to bring provision. They walk out. They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They leave Egypt untouched, unscathed, on their, on their own free will to do so without ever lifting a finger to fight against Egypt. Egypt basically sends them packing. Now, as they're in the wilderness, God comes to Israel, the people of Israel, and says, look, I want to renew this covenant. I want you to know that I am God and that you are my people. And so we get to, um, we get to Exodus chapter 19. I want to read this because this is so fundamental to the people of God today. Okay, so this is Exodus 19. Verses 5 through 8. And this is God in the wilderness. They've just left Egypt. They've departed from Egypt. They're, they're just fresh out of slavery. God comes and says, look, we're going to make a covenant here. This is what God says in Exodus 19. He says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. So God's helping the people say, look, out of all the people on the earth... I've chosen your family to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Although the whole earth is mine, so look, even though everything belongs to me, I want to I bless you. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he, he went to Moses, who was the leader, and said, look, here's what I want you to tell them. You're going to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for the Lord. You're going to be my treasured possession. So Moses goes back to all the Israelites and says, here's the deal, this is what God wants. So Moses went back and summoned all the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. And so the people respond to the Lord. They say, look, this is a good thing. God has set up for us boundaries. God has set for provision for us in relationship to him that in all the world we would be God's treasured possession to be a blessing to, to bless the entire world. This has been God's plan all along since Abraham, now 400 years later or so, still renewing the same purposes of God, that his people would be a blessing to all the world. God renewing that, continuing that. And so God sets up a law. Here is how you are to relate to God and to one another. God takes a nation that was enslaved in another nation and brings them out and says, look, I'm going to provide for you a way in which you can relate to a holy and perfect and infinite and sovereign God. I'm provide for you the law. This is how you are to respond to me. This is how I will respond to you. This is how you are to treat one another. There's not chaos. It's not, it's not just um, free-for-all. God says, no, I want, there's a specific way in which we are to treat one another, in order that you can be a blessing to other people. We don't just do whatever we want. God says, I'm going to establish this. So in this, we see that there is a, a lower story. We talk about the lower story, which is what's happening on earth, what we see going on all around us. The lower story is that God is establishing a way for people to relate to one another and to live with boundaries in their lives to protect them and keep them safe. 
But the upper story is this, that God is creating a people, a kingdom of priests for himself to minister his purposes and blessing to all the world. Now, things haven't changed, right? When we look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9, so this, was, this is now in the New Testament. So this, is God's, this is God's prevailing purpose. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this is why we are his people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There is purpose in our redemption. God has called us to be a people, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood for him, just like he called the Israelites. Now he's calling us today. His purposes have not changed. That we will proclaim his excellencies to all the world. There is purpose. God has given a purpose for each one of us as his people that we would proclaim his excellencies. And this isn't something that he just came up recently with. This is something that's been ongoing since the very beginning of time with Abraham, with Israel, with us today. There is an unfolding of God's purposes on the earth that his people would be a blessing. His people would proclaim, be his mouthpieces to proclaim who God is and what he's done and the glory of knowing him and following after him. God's given that to each one of us. And as we continue on with Israel, in Exodus 29, so a few, a few chapters later, we get the purpose of the law. So God given his people, this is the law and how you are to relate to one another and relate to me. God says the purpose of all this law is that this, this, this most important aspect of this relationship, that I will dwell amongst you. He said, I will dwell amongst you. Unlike any other nations of the world, I'm going to put my presence in your midst. The people are going to know that you belong to me because I am there with you. I'm not going to watch you from a distance. I'm actually going to come and be with you. I'm going to dwell amongst you. I'm going to be your God, not from a distance, but up close and personal. By the way, it's also why we celebrate Christmas, right? Because God came to be with us. Celebration of of Jesus Christ is that not that he was God from afar, but he was God up close. Came to be with his people. And so that we get the purpose of, of, of this law, this covenant, this relationship that we have with God and we see with Israel is that, that God would dwell amongst his people. And the people respond and say, Yes, we like this very much. We want this. We will do everything, God, you've asked us to do because we want you to be in our midst. We've seen all that you've done. We've seen, all, we've seen the blessings of your provision for us and protection and, and care for us and love for us. We've seen all these things. You've brought us mightily out of Egypt. You've, you've had us cross the Red Sea. You've, you've provided manna in the wilderness. You've, you've, you've told us that you're going to be in our midst. And they said, we will do all that you've asked us to do. Now, they leave the wilderness and they enter into the promised land. The, the land that was promised to Abraham. God said, I'm going to provide basically a, 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 a territory for you to dwell in, for your ancestors to dwell in, that will be a launching pad for the rest of the world to see what I'm like and who I am. So they enter into the promised land. Now, as they enter into the promised land, God's people are, after Moses dies and Joshua dies, God's people then are ruled by what's called Judges. 
So various leaders would arise from the people and they would lead Israel for 40 years or 20 years, however long it was. And the people of God in this, in this point would start this cycle. They'd start a cycle of sin, of, of rejecting God, of, of going their own way, of, of forsaking the Lord and all that he has, which then would lead to oppression. People from the outs, different various countries would come in and, and take them over and, and, and bring oppression to them and rule over them and treat them harshly, which then would cause the people to repent, turn back to God, which then would bring about a great deliverance. So there are this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. Over and over, we see this played out in the book of Judges. Many times over. And then we get to the book of Kings. We see Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. We see David, really the, the, the pinnacle, the, the standard by which other kings are judged by. And we see his son Solomon, really the golden era of Israel. The day of Solomon, of, of dedicating the temple, of, pray, of calling out to the Lord, of the, the cloud descending, of God's presence descending upon the temple. And Solomon praying out to the Lord, saying, look, Lord, this is going to be a, a, a house for all nations to come in and, and seek you and know you. It's the golden age of, of Israel. Then, shortly after that, King Solomon's son, very foolishly decides that he's going to flex his muscle after daddy's dead and show everyone how tough he is, well, the kingdom of Israel splits in two. And from then on, the kingdom really runs in two parallel tracks, each with their own kings, with their own rule, with their own uh, territories. So the northern kingdom is what's called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And the southern kingdom in, in Judah is where the, the Jerusalem was and where the temple was. So basically, ten tribes go with the northern kingdom. Two tribes go with the southern kingdom called Judah. And, in, and during the time of the divided kingdom, there were 38 kings total. So this period of the divided kingdom, there's 38 kings total between the north and the south with only five good kings. So out of the 38 total kings, only five were men who pursued the Lord. The other 33 kings did did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And during this time, God sends nine prophets to the various kings of the kingdoms and said, look, turn back to the Lord. This is God's grace calling the people back to repentance again. Say, look, it doesn't have to be this way. Don't follow in this way. Follow after the Lord. Pursue him with all of your heart and with all of your life. Nine prophets sent to the northern kingdom over a span of 208 years. But the people refused to obey or listen to the Lord. There's a refusal to respond to God. And God continually, passionately, purposefully, lovingly calls the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah, back to himself again over and over for centuries, calling the people back to himself again. And so now as we get to chapter 16 in the book, we're looking at the book of Kings. And so chapter 16 is out of the book of Kings. And the book of Kings is set to answer this important question. Because as, as the people are reading this book, the people of God are sitting in exile. They're out of their land. They've been separated from their families. They've been kicked out of their homeland. Their homeland has been destroyed. Families torn apart. They've lost everything that they've ever owned. 
And now they're sitting around looking at each other, and they're wondering, how did we get here? I mean, we've, we have this history of God's miraculous provision for us every step of the way. Every step of the way, God has provided for us and cared for us and called us to himself and have sent, sent prophets to us to turn us back to him again and have constantly has been speaking and, and redeeming and calling us to himself. And now here we sit, far from the presence of God, far from the people of God, in utter confusion as to how this happened. The book of Kings sets about to answer that question because we could wonder at this moment, was God unable to deliver us? Was God too weak to stand up against the gods of the other nations? Was God unable to protect his people? Was, was God asleep at the wheel? Was God, was God on vacation? Who knows what God was doing in this moment? But did he forget about us? Is it his fault that we are far away and removed from our home and our families and all the blessings of the Lord? God, where are you at in this? And that's the context of where we're at this morning. So if you want to turn with me over to chapter 16, which is page 219, we're going to begin reading this story. Now this is, remember, this, is seven, this has been 700 years since the Israelites have left Egypt. And all of their history, he's ran through 700 years of history. They've left Egypt, and here's where we are at this morning. In the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. So it's the northern kingdom. And he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalemanser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hosea, who had been Shalemanser's vassal and, paid, and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalemanser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. Then in the ninth year of Hosea, king of Assyria, he captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala and Gazan on the Har Harbor River and in the towns of the Medes. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So in this brief paragraph here, these two paragraphs, we get the lower story. This is exactly what took place. The, the king from Assyria comes and he invades the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom, completely wipes them out over a series of battles, and he takes all the people and deports them to various places. Now, this was a, this was a, a genius military tactic, right? If you want to destroy and dismantle a foreign rival country, you invade, you conquer, but you don't allow them to stay in their land where there's a, there's a common purpose and a common um, identity as a people, you begin to deport them into all different places in your kingdom, which then completely dismantles any sense of culture, of history, of purpose as a people. In, in essence, dismantling any hope of this country gathering back together to fight you again. So you've wiped them out, essentially. Now that's the lower story. This is what we get in the upper story. The Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. What did, the Lord, what did God do? 
He had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is what God had done. This is the upper story. God, God had delivered his people out of Egypt. What did Israel do in response to their deliverance? They worshipped other gods. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and and Judah through all his prophets and seers. This is what the prophets would come and tell Judah and Israel. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with with the entire law that I have commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I delivered you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. So what did the Lord do? So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. The Lord was very angry with Israel, and remove them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And so there we get the upper story and lower story of the kingdom of Israel, of God's chosen people. They had rebelled against the Lord for centuries. God had sent prophets in his word and has reminded them of all that he had done for them and, and with them and through them. God had reminded them lovingly and carefully and graciously and, and mercifully over and over and over again. He said, but in return, they refused to worship the Lord. And because of their refusal, because of their rejection, God removed them from his presence. In this, we see not only the kindness of God, but the severity of God. There is a reality of God's loving, careful provision that calls people back to himself over and over and over again. But there also comes a point where we have finally rejected God. We have said, I have had enough. I want to go my own way. Do things whatever I want to do. And God turns us over to the things that we long for so, so badly in our own hearts. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. The, the result of continually rejecting the Lord is not life, it's not purpose, it's not hope. The result of rejecting the Lord and His Word in our lives results in death. Results in death. It results in separation of relationship. God had not forgotten his promises. See, Israel had been unfaithful to God over and over and over again, and God had graciously brought them back to himself and loved them and cared for them. It wasn't that God wasn't strong enough to deliver his people, God surely was. God puts the responsibility of what's taken place with the exile not on his own shoulders saying, guys, I'm so sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't handle all the invading armies. No, God says, well, Israel, this is on you. This is what you wanted. This is the very thing that you have been craving and longing for since the day that we left Egypt. You've been a stiff-necked people refusing to surrender to me. Wanting to go your own way. And now finally I'm giving that to you. God 
God's purpose for Israel was that they would be a blessing to all the earth. And instead they said, no thank you. We will go our own way. We want to do things our own way. What does all this mean for us today? In this, we see a couple of things. Number one, for centuries, for generation after generation, God did not give his people what they deserved. There was grace. God lovingly sending prophets, lovingly bringing his word, lovingly calling people back to himself. There is grace. But in the end, as the people continued to rebel against God, God turned them over to their own desires, their own purposes. And we're going to wrap things up soon, but I want to just read this out of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. is in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Galatians, writing to a church, and this is what he writes. He's talking about serving the Lord and following after him and responding to God. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning this, when we give our lives to Christ Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, when we come to him in faith, believing that he has forgiven us of our sins, that he is the way of salvation, the way of life, God puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we could respond to God, that we can live for him, that we can obey him, that we can do everything he's asked us to do. So when we surrender, when we walk by the Spirit, and we follow after him, we won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. We follow the Lord, right? But, you are, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a wage to be paid for continually rejecting the word of the Lord, and it's not inheriting the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Run over to Galatians chapter 6 now. This is the next chapter. Galatians 6 is 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
as we read about the kingdom of Israel, I am reminded over and as we go through this week after we've been going through this for four months, guys, it's the same story every single week. I mean, it is the exact same story every single week played out in just different ways. We, come and we encounter the grace of God. We encounter the grace of God and that he continues to send prophets and his word and people amongst the nation to turn their hearts back to him again because of his great love, even when Israel is completely disobedient, completely rejecting his word, completely turning their backs on him, God still continues to send prophets and his word to his people. It's unbelievable. This is an amazing grace that God at the first sign of Israel's disobedience and turning their backs, he doesn't just say, okay, forget you then. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. But according to his word, he's also just. And that in the end, if we continue to turn our backs on him, we continue to live rejecting his word to us, that he gives us over to the very thing that we have been asking for in the first place. And that, that is a future without him. That is an eternity without him. So what do we do? Hebrews 3, I just want to read this, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 3, 14 and 15, reads this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you are listening and hearing this this morning, God's grace is available for you. That no matter what we have done, no matter what our week has looked like, no matter what we've said, what we've done, the, whatever bitterness we've, we've developed, we've built up against our family, whatever we've done against other people, whatever that is, God's grace is available to us. That he is providing for us an opportunity to receive forgiveness, but not just forgiveness for ourselves, but to be his instrument, his ambassador, his royal priesthood for his purposes, that we would declare the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ all over the world. That in everything, Jesus has made a way. This week, Laura, if you want to just come up, this week I was, Michelle and I were over at her, her cousin's house, and at her cousin's house, they had this like, beautiful, big, grand piano. I think it's a grand piano. It's this big piano. And I'm like, oh, Michelle, look, we were waiting, we were waiting for a cousin. And I'm like, hey, honey, look, they've got a piano. We should, should go play. And so she, she went over to the piano, and she began to play this song. It's just, she's a pretty good piano player. And uh, she begins to play this song. It's this beautiful song. And as she's playing this song, our, little, our cousin's little, I think her son, came over and sat next to Michelle. And as Michelle is beginning to play, she's playing the song, and her cute little cousin, cousin's son comes over, and she's playing, and he comes over, and 
and just starts doing this. But he's banging the keys and he's just going for it. And just completely, thanks, Lori, completely screws up the song. Just annihilates the song. It wasn't, it wasn't beautiful at all. And I thought to myself, God is playing a song of redemption that's going out into all the world. And we have an opportunity to come alongside and say, God, I want to play the song with you. He invites us to play with him. And what Israel did is said, no, we'll play, but we're going to play our own song. We'll do things our own way. And I think that's where the grace of God comes and says, I want to rescue and redeem you. But in the end, there comes a point when you've so thoroughly rejected all my plans that I'm going to send you in exile. This morning, it doesn't need to come to that point. God is playing a song of redemption, and he invites you and I to come alongside and play the song that he is playing. It's God's song, not our song. We can play alongside him and with him in this beautiful melody of his grace and mercy that's going forth. And I want to encourage us, let us not be like the little child who comes along and says, you know what, I'll do things my way. There's a beautiful song being played, but you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and hammer away at the keys and destroy this beautiful melody for my own making. God invites us into this. Just like he invited Israel, he invites us into this. This morning, God has... God is calling each one of us to a surrender to his purposes. That we would be his instruments in his hands playing his song of redemption for people. And we can either come alongside that and cooperate with that, or we can go our own way. Now that's different for everybody. Every, I can't prescribe this is what it means for everybody at this moment. God is speaking specifically as his people Called by his name, God is speaking specifically to each one of us. That means something different. Meaning maybe God's asking us to say we're sorry. Maybe God's asking us to repent for the things that we've seen this week or said this week. Maybe God's asking us to lay our busy schedule down with all of its demands that we can invite our neighbors over and tell them about who he is or just hang out with them. I mean, God's asking something different from each one of us. And as we pray this morning and take communion, let us see this opportunity. Let us seize the opportunity to walk in step with him and all that he's called us to be as his people. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then they're going to distribute the elements. And as we distribute the elements, I'd like just... If, Lori could um, just play that song, God is the Center, again, and then we will take the elements together. So, Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your amazing grace that we see written all over the pages of Scripture. And, Lord, we pray, we pray this morning, God, that we would recognize your grace and respond to your grace and surrender our lives to you again. God, help us to live as your people to declare the excellencies 
of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.